My, uh, I'm going to answer the question of a show I could watch over and over. And just recently, I kind of got watching this over and over again. And one of the shows that I, uh, I think I've even uh, learned like a different level of appreciating uh, is Seinfeld. If there's any Seinfeld fans, it seems like kind of a, maybe a universal. I have met people who hate that show, but typically not. Um, and recently, as I have been thinking about the end of Hebrews, um, this word spite has come up. Uh, and this thought of how much I'm seeing spite, which we're going we're gonna to look into, but it reminded me of a favorite clip from the show, Seinfeld. This is a show I watch over and over, but I just want to share this clip with you. I think this is a fun uh, clip. This is a Jerry, who's the main character in this, um, went to a, a store to buy a coat with his friend Elaine, and Elaine, the, the clerk, was like flirting with her, and he was not a fan of the clerk, and so he decides to return the coat. I'd like to return this jacket. Certainly. May I ask why? For spite. <laughs> spite? That's right. I don't care for the salesman that sold it to me. I don't think you can return an item for spite. What do you mean? Well, if there was some problem with the garment, if it were unsatisfactory in some way, then we could do it for you. But I'm afraid spite doesn't fit any of our conditions for a refund. That's ridiculous. I want to return it. What's the difference what the reason is? Let me speak with the manager. Excuse me. Bob? What seems to be the problem? Well, I want to return this jacket, and she asked me why, and I said for spite, and now she won't take it back. Uh, that's true. We can't return an item based purely on spite. Well, so fine, then. Then I don't want it. That's why I'm returning it. Well, you already said spite, so... I changed my mind. No. You said spite. Too late. It's so fun to hear laugh tracks. It's been a while. Not even laugh tracks, probably real people laughing in a show. Um, I, I, love, I love the idea that someone will return an item just to like get back at the, the people um, in, the, in the store. I, I think of this, uh, I've been thinking about this because I, I don't know if there's an increase in this, but I've maybe been more aware of it lately, especially we can think way back to like the election season and all the things happening um, in COVID. I remember during the election, people saying, I'm going to vote out of spite. Like, I'm just going to vote a certain way. Uh, I have a friend I sat with and said, I'm going to vote a certain way just so I can tell my parents I voted that way, just to like get, get back at them. You thought, like, I don't know if, if that's the, the wisest way to vote uh, or to use that just to hurt someone else. But think of how common that is. As a kid, I remember how often I would, my decisions maybe were made just to get back at maybe my sibling. Um, if I was willing to sacrifice myself. I also think of how moments when it doesn't happen and it's almost surprising. There was actually news a few years ago um, of, from Steph Curry. Steph Curry at the time um, bro- came into the NBA and they didn't know how great he would be and he became like, at that time, one of the best players and still one of the greatest players. But at the moment that he was interviewed, uh, he was uh, paid as the 82nd highest player. Now, he, he still was making... $12 million a year, but that was the 82nd player, but he was ranked as the best player. And so there are other players who were similar and they would like refuse to play. They'd say, I'm not playing until you pay me more. Like they would just out of spite, they would say, well, I'm going to hurt you if you're not going to pay me more money uh, or, or I won't play as much or I'll talk poorly about the team or I'll ask to be traded because you're not giving me 
what I want. And they said, hey, we haven't heard you do that. You're still playing every week and still playing really well. And, and, they, and they asked him, well, what's going on? And Steph Curry said, well, one thing my pops always told me is you never count another man's money. And then he went on to explain, I do make $12 million a year. I think that's plenty of money. Just kind of refreshing to hear, right? So let's say that. I think he can support his family with that. Um, but uh, it's interesting because in that moment, it almost would have, they were surprised. It was enough that it made the news that he wasn't spiteful. Like, yeah, but you could if you want. You could really stick it to him for not paying you more than $12 million a year. And in that recently, there's been an article written, um, there was a book actually written about spite. And a, guy, uh, a gentleman by the name of Charlie Tyson wrote in the Atlantic really very recently, uh, this, he was asking this question, why are we so spiteful? He was actually reviewing a book that was talking about spite and maybe how it can be helpful. And he was saying, I don't know if it's helpful. Um, and he says this, which I think is, is really helpful to think about. As we move into this study of Hebrews today at the end, thinking like, how does this play in uh, to it? So he says, spite defies logic. We act spitefully, lashing out to harm someone else, even at a cost to ourselves, when the desire to punish overrides other considerations. People in the throes of spite's poisonous pleasures do not care if they injure themselves or make the whole world worse off, so long as they satisfy their rancor. Yet, because spite involves a self-inflicted cost, this petty and ultimately antisocial emotion bears a family resemblance to altruism. Actually, it looks kind of selfish. Many spiteful actors believe they are behaving nobly, meting out justice where it is due. Spite is a symptom of social breakdown, but is not a, a trustworthy guide to fair action. This ugly feeling is self-multiplying. It tends to lead not towards justice, but often towards more spite. I was thinking a lot about this lately, how often that is my kind of first uh, fleshy response is like, how can I get back at you? Even if someone just were to say, hey, I, I, I don't like when you say this this way, or I was kind of hurt by this saying, my response, first response can be like, I'm going to hurt you back then. It's this, even if it is a cost to me. I bring this up because uh, our end of Hebrews here uh, is actually going to finally move into giving us some things to do. All of Hebrews, over and over and over, we've been hearing for 12 chapters for 19 weeks Jesus is greater. He's so good. He's better than angels, better than Moses. You should cling to him. He's the one who's made a way to heaven, to a life, to a full life. All these incredible things. He's, he's better than the mountain of fear. Remember this from a few weeks ago? He's, he brings us to the mountain of joy. And, and in that discussion, and as I've got to study that with friends, there tends to be this feeling like, yeah, yeah, but then what am I supposed to do? I get, I get this 30,000 or whatever whatever heaven's at, right? Million thousand feet <laughs> view of this, right? What, like, but what do I do? Because we want, right, we want to go to this. What do I do? What do I do? But what do I do? So Hebrews comes to a conclusion and it gives us a list of things to do. And for some of us that might feel like, oh, finally, okay, just tell me what to do. I, I get it. Jesus is great and I should hold on to him. What should I do? I think in this discussion of thinking about spite or, or anything that we do, uh, Hebrews is going to frame it in such a helpful way to say, yeah, there's things for us to move towards, like maybe not being spiteful, but how do you get there? Because if we're really looking to bring 
peace or justice or joy into things? Do I just muster that up and go do it? And then I go back and cling to Jesus? Do I just like leave church on Sunday and I go do my things then I come back the next Sunday to worship Jesus? Or is there some connection in all that? And so I think that's the framework I want us to think about as we end uh, the book of Hebrews, our last week together in this book. And the author goes to, right away, gives us something to do. Which maybe gives us a little relief and then frames it in a way that is so, so helpful for me and hopefully all of us. So this is Hebrews 13. If you have a Bible, we're just going to be just in Hebrews today. We're going to go through the whole chapter of 13 together. If you have a Bible you like to look at or write in or you want to look on your phone, otherwise I'll have all the, the, um, the lyrics, all the words um, up on the screen. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Whew. All right. That sounds good. I can do that as family. We can gather with the family, these people I'm close to, which we've been called to. We've been made family through Christ. Okay, I can keep loving them. All right, check. We can kind of, maybe I'll start making a checklist so I can do the things the author here of Hebrews tell me to do. Keep on loving the church. Sound good. Next, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Okay, show hospitality to angels without knowing it, check. Hospitality to strangers. This passage, I, I love this passage because um, it's one that I started studying because I thought, oh, this is weird, this hospitality to angels, what does that mean? Um, and it actually sent me to the word hospitality and less to this, what is this angel thing? The angel thing is really more of a connection to this phrase that was used uh, even in Old Testament and throughout church history, just this idea that when we're actually showing hospitality to a stranger, they actually are still connected to who God is. They're still, they still could be in the family. And so even if you remember the passage where Jesus says, when you're doing to the least of these, you're doing to me, it's this idea like there's image bearers of God. And we, we just, even if you don't know that person, God knows that person. And so when we're showing hospitality. We're like welcoming and part of God's family. And also the history of in the Old Testament of uh, literally people entertaining, like caring for, showing hospitality, to, they thought people, but they actually were God. And so that part is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But this word hospitality became really interesting because it doesn't mean be friendly with your friends. It actually means how well do you welcome in people you don't know or people you don't necessarily agree with? How well do you make people feel at home who aren't a part of your home? It's like, okay, that's the next check. That's a little, I'm not as great at that. It's a lot easier to be, have show hospitality if it means like throwing good cookouts with people I already know, uh, which I can, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about that one. I can love, we can love each other. I can show hospitality. I, I can do the next thing, continue to remember those in prison as if we were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Okay, that's a hard one too, but I think I can remember those who aren't even with me but are in prison kind of suffer with them even though we're not together. We get to the next one. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Okay, kind of like he just like turned it up a little bit. Like, okay, I can be, I can think of all these other people. Whoa, now you're talking about like a sexual ethic, like faithfulness in a marriage and faithfulness just in my life. This gets tougher Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
what can mere mortals do to me? So uh, another, another added list, these seem almost kind of random, like so a checklist I got to do. Okay, so I, I think I can do these. It, and it's amazing how I'm reading this passage in my home and how quickly I forget the rest of Hebrews. How quickly I say, okay, I got to do these. That will make God happy. That will make me joyful if I do these. That will get me to the mountain which is the whole point of Hebrews, is that you're not checking off a list to enter into God's family. The whole point is Jesus has done the work so you can be in God's family. And then the author here is reminding us, and then when you're in God's family, that should bubble up and overflow into these things, which are really important things that we should call each other to. In fact, at the end of this passage, he's telling us, remember, God is your helper. He's the one with you. And then he just goes on to give us more things. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Okay, remember those people that have spoken the gospel to you. Consider the outcome of their faith of life and imitate their faith. So now he's saying, okay, now another thing to th think about is those people around you and imitate their faith. This might be even a callback to just a little bit earlier in chapter 11. We heard that whole list of all those Old Testament heroes. Remember he said all these people, and all it told us they did it didn't give like all their stats. It just said they had faith in the one who was coming, in Jesus. So remember them in their faith? And then it gives us this great reminder, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Remember, it's not about them. It's not about how well they did it or even today how well you do it. It's remembering that Jesus has always been the same and they've always put their faith and trust in him. And that's what allows them to overflow, to bubble up, and we're able to love each other are able to not have money be the source of their hope, to, to be able to be content in suffering, be able to remember those in prison. Let's, let's keep rolling. Do not be carried away by all things of strange teachings. I think the author here is, is uh, again, earlier we heard a little bit about this in the book of Hebrews. He's reminding these people he thinks are probably Jewish Christians who are suffering, who are saying, I think we're going to go back to this religion that we had because it seemed like there was a system and you follow these things and then things would be okay. And he's saying, no, 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 that doesn't, that's not a thing anymore. That's not a thing. Don't go back to those strange teachings. And then he says this passage that really is the foundation of kind of this whole end. And really for me has been a, a, a great, uh, it's pointed me to, if nothing else, this is what I'm going to pull from the book of Hebrews. Listen to this encouraging passage. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. He's, he doesn't say it's, it's really good for us to do these good things. He says it is good for us. It, it, is, it, it actually makes us whole to be strengthened by grace, to allow the gift that God has given in Christ and his work to strengthen us. That's what's going to strengthen us to be able to do these things. To remember Jesus has always been here. Remember how good that is? As we continue here, not by eating ceremonial foods, not by doing the right things, following the right religion, which is of no benefit to those who do so. That's not any benefit. Grace is this free gift of life in Christ because of the work that he's done. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. You can see he's, he's taking some shots here. He's saying there's people who's, who spend their time, their money, their energies on bringing these sacrifices to the table at the temple saying, this is what will make me right with God. This will make me right with myself. This is what will bring me identity, saying, 
that doesn't do that. What does that is turning and putting faith in what Christ has done. And now he just starts moving the discussion less from things for you to do and more reminding us once again of what he's reminded us for 12 chapters of our great high priest. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So this is referring uh, to this uh, animal that was sacrificed in the place of the people in the ceremony. The priest would bring it in to the temple, into the Holy of Holies. The blood would be shed as an image of like, this is death. This is what comes when you sin. And then those bodies would be burning. They'd be taken outside of the holy place, outside of the people, into this outside place, outside the camp, outside the family, the group. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For there we do not have an, 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 have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. This is incredible imagery. He's saying, I, I'm calling you these things, but let's not forget who Jesus is and what he's done. He himself became the sacrifice. He himself, not figuratively, literally was taken outside the city of Jerusalem next to a garbage heap, and was crucified, was sacrificed on a hill. Why did he do that? Because we are outside the city, because we're unclean, because we've been thrown in the garbage heap, and he does that so that we now have access back in to the family of God. He comes out to us to bring us back in, and we now no longer have to just look for this temporary place, this city, but we get to look at this eternal city that he mentioned just before in chapter 12, this city on the mountain that's going to be glorious where all things are made right. Jesus went outside the camp to bring us into the camp so we could look forward to the city. Again, reminding us of this grace that we've been given. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by this good news. It is so good to be strengthened by this good news. It makes me think of this. I recently was watching uh, videos of some of the wildfires in California. Um, and, and one of the videos was of a group of young adults who were throwing a party, a, f a fire party. This is, this is not wise. They're throwing a party on their uh, patio while a forest fire was like, happening outside their California home. And this a friend, well, friend was like, you know, TikToking it. So I think that's the term, right? TikToking it. Is that right, Zach? No, okay, it's not right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he's video. He's he's recording on his phone, and uh, and they're like, "Look, there's like one of those giant planes," and it comes close. They're all like, "Yeah!" and they're all screaming at the plane, and then the plane dumps all its water off them on their house, and they are drenched. I mean, like as drenched as you can be, and they're all standing there just soaked from very dry, having a good time, soaked. And it makes me think of this passage. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. This book, the book of Hebrews isn't just saying, Jesus did some cool things for you. You should, you should think about being his friend. It's saying you have been drenched and satisfied in all things your heart desires. Like beyond what you can imagine even. We don't even totally know. You've just been soaked in grace and that changes everything. And now that you're dripping in grace, you are people who go out in love. And you are people who consider what it looks like to have, uh, what your sexuality looks like. You're people who consider what it looks like to not let money uh, 
be, be everything for you. And consider where your hope is. But it's not because you've like mustered it up or figured it out. It's because you have been soaked in grace. Just drenched in grace. The author goes on and says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. See, this through Jesus. We can't skip that. Through Jesus, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And don't forget, we are called to do good. We get to bring goodness and justice into the world around us. We get to bring Jesus to people. But first, do not forget it's through Christ who fills us. It's so quick that we want to just do and then come back later to Jesus. You say, no, be filled. Bring him with your soaking wet. Clothe yourselves in him. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. This is where I get to tell you to not be a burden to me. Stop being a burden to me. <laughs> That'd be law, right? If I just came up and said, hey, read Hebrews. Or if I got like an email from you that was like, hey, I don't love this thing you do, Drew. And I'd say, hey, why don't you read Hebrews 17, 13, 17. <laughs> Get back to me. No, no, no. This is again how quick we could turn to that, right? This is again just saying, these people in your life, and this, this might not be me. This is, who's in a small group with you? Who's the friend that reminds you of the gospel who says, hey, let me strengthen you with grace. When you're having a week and you say, I don't know what to do, and they say, ah, I'd love to pray with you in this. Do you remember how faithful and how patient God is with you? Let's, let's remember that, and maybe that will help you be patient and faithful with those around you. And you say, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Just tell me what I should do. Let, let us not be a burden to those people. Let's allow those people to speak grace that would strengthen us. And then the author encourages us, says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. I, I, just, I love this because the author says, hey, pray, ask God to restore me to you. I, I want to be with you. I want to be together with you. I want to continue to encourage you in grace. I want you to encourage me in grace so that we could be strengthened, people strengthened by our grace. Now, I saw this play out this week uh, in a way that was very encouraging to me. I, I was reading uh, this week um, a lot about Tulsa. Uh, not sure if you're aware, but 100 years ago tomorrow, uh, a terrible thing happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, they call it the T Tulsa Race Riots or the Tulsa uh, Massacre. 100 years ago, which actually happened within a few weeks of Columbia Heights becoming a city. We celebrate our 100th anniversary, and around the same month, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a neighborhood that was one of the most prosperous, thriving black neighborhoods in America. Uh, a young man was accused, a young black man was accused of assaulting a young white girl, and uh, all hell broke loose, I think is an appropriate way to use that term. Just within a day, um, that part of the city uh, burned, was, was burned. They think up to 300 people may have been killed. We don't actually know because it wasn't really accounted for. Many, there were mass graves uh, of people, people just buried in rubble. There were black residents who were gathered into temporary holding areas and they were shot if they tried to resist. 
It was actually just people, civilians, using their planes to drop bombs on their city in that neighborhood. They say about 10 blocks of black-owned homes were destroyed overnight in, like, in their own city. Many people lived in tents for months and months after that. Um, it, it's a, like a terrible moment in, in history. And actually for a long time it wasn't really talked about or, or known uh, other than kind of in that community where people passed that on. And recently they found um, some mass graves in the city as they like excavated for projects. Um, that's why they're, they're even unsure how many people perish. It's really a terrible moment um, in our history. Uh, it's one that I'd encourage you to, to think about, to look at, to become aware of, especially uh, this weekend. And one of the things that churches, as we just got to pray for our, our friends across the river here, um, churches in Tulsa have gathered, and, they, and this today, on Sunday, there's churches all over Tulsa in that area that have gathered to pray together. Um, and a group of bishops together wrote a prayer that they've asked the churches of Tulsa to pray together today. And um, I, I was really moved by this. And I think it speaks to this idea of being strengthened by grace. The way this prayer was written is clear that they have been strengthened by grace. It is good for their hearts to be strengthened by grace. Because in this, in this place, if I wrote a prayer, um, it, it might come out like, there's terrible people, God, and you should do stuff to them. It would quickly go to spite or a lot more violent than spite. I'd say, this is so terrible. Hurt these people for what they've done. And it's 100 years ago, so I don't hurt their, their, their relatives or someone needs to get hurt or just, we need to blame someone. It just, this anger comes up and I'm so encouraged by how these bishops wrote a prayer. This is the prayer that today is being prayed by churches all over Tulsa. Listen to this. Listen how this uh, speaks to this idea of, of grace. It says, merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We've rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. This is a list of not doing the things God has called us to do. So when we see our list in Hebrews, how, how helpful is it maybe to say, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do those. I don't think I can love actually my brother well, I, let alone a stranger well. And then listen to their response. This is being strengthened by grace. God, forgive us, we pray. We can't do it. We need your grace. And then hear this phrase, free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. This is what we get at the end of Hebrews. We get a conclusion to the book that says, yeah, there's things I'm calling you to. Loving our neighbors well. Hearing the cry of the needy. Being obedient. I'm not doing it well. And the author's like, yeah, don't forget the rest of what I wrote. Let your heart be strengthened by grace. God is with you. He forgives and he can free you and, and give you, empower you and allow you to have joyful obedience. What a phrase. What a way to wake up each morning and say, God, 
free me today for joyful obedience in you. And that only happens through Christ, who's made a way, who's freed us from the law and religion and allows us now to be people free and joyful obedience who can truly bring that same grace that Jesus has brought. So as I enter time, I'm going to have Kelly come up. She's going to lead us in some worship here. I want to just, I just want to take an opportunity to do this. I want to, I want to fly a plane over us today and just drench us. Okay? Everyone's excited about that. It's 54 degrees out. Uh, I, I'm only going to use the book of Hebrews. And this took me five minutes to walk through the book of Hebrews and just be reminded of grace. I want to strengthen us this morning in God's grace. And then Kelly's going to lead us in a time to, to sing with our words, praise to the one who strengthens us. Just take a moment, just take this in. Maybe you're somebody who's like, close your eyes to concentrate. Maybe you have a little person next to you, so you can't do that, but because they might run off. But just take this in, friends. Let's just be drenched in the grace that comes from just from, the, just from a quick uh, skim through Hebrews. And imagine if you opened your whole Bible. Friends, Christ has made all things and he made you. Christ is the one who sustains us. Christ breaks down the power of Satan and sin. We, we can't do that, but he's done it. He helps us through temptation. He knows your suffering. He's built a home for us. He's made a way for us. Remember, he's the pioneer. He's done it. He gives us Rest. Oh, I need to hear that grace today. He offers God's throne of grace to us. He not just says, I made a way, I rescued you, but I've given you a way into God's holy of holies in his family. He is our perfect high priest. He is ours forever. He doesn't go away. He is holy. He is blameless. He is pure. He is exalted. He gives life because he shed his blood for us. Remember when he went outside the gates to bring us in to the city? He sacrifices once for all. It's not an over and over thing. We don't, it's done. The cycle is done. He takes away our guilty conscience. That might be something today you're feeling. Man, I, that's what I need. He saves us from destruction. He gives us a family. He destroys the mountain of fear and says, come to the mountain of joy. Remember, he says, throw that mountain into the sea. The law has no more power over me. Friends, as we sing now, I pray we would be ones who, who would believe it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and that would fill us, that would soak us and we would leave here smelling and overflowing and looking a little bit more like Jesus so we get to bring that to those around us, but only because first, first we were with him. So Kelly's going to give us an opportunity now to say that, to uh, sing those words. And so as we sing, I encourage you to take the opportunity to, to, if you need to just sit and pray, if you need to just reflect on this, to just really be washed uh, by God's grace and also to respond by just singing out to him, you're so good. You're so good. So let me pray for us as Kelly gets started and then let's sing, let's sing together. Lord, thank you for, oh, you have washed us in this grace. You've given us life. Lord, we, we won't love well always. We won't look to others. We will want to lash out. 
And God, I pray we would turn to you. We would repent, turn to you, worship you, and be filled. And then we would get to bring that joy, that light, that peace, that self-control, the patience to those around us. And I pray, Lord, we would not stop clinging to you. You are really, really good to us. And I pray as we sing, Lord, those words would come out as people who are grateful and thankful and being filled with you. I pray that in your good name. Amen.